there are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I blame myself and I blame the machines. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we are going to be revisiting a topic we've looked at on this show before, but uh, coming coming at you with an update Yeah. on the subject of brain-computer interfaces. Okay, the concept here is that you train a computer to interpret your brain waves. Then you think really hard about doing something. I mean, not just anything, like like moving a cursor or, uh, or typing a word or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then it happens. It's like magic, but with more electrodes. Exactly. So brain-computer interfaces could be anything from an ability to, to be able to, like you say, move a cursor or type a word and mm-hmm. communicate or manipulate uh, a robotic limb. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of or different – a wheelchair, something like that. Exactly. There are a lot of different potential applications. But honestly, it just it boils down to 
stripping away any sort of uh, of interface that would require movement, and it relies purely on thought. Right, and of course that's the output half of it. There's yes. also the input half of it, where you could say brain, uh, you know, input oriented brain computer interface would be. Getting stimuli without the use of your senses, maybe. Mm. Like having an idea sent directly to your brain instead of through your eyes or something. Oh, so something like, like a, a, uh, an interface where you are receiving information from the outside world in some manner. Uh, for example, uh, let's uh, one one thing we'll talk about toward the end of the episode is the idea of being able to access, say, the internet mm-hmm. directly through your brain. Yeah, uh, a common example would be, you know, could we put some microelectrodes in your visual cortex that would allow you to see without seeing? You could have your, you know, your eyes closed but still perceive an image in your brain. Man, sleeping would be so weird. <laughs> like I'm just looking through the top of my head. No, anyway, uh, so we've got a lot to say about this, but you may think if you're a longtime listener, haven't you guys addressed this before? Joe, you alluded to that. We actually have quite a few times. Uh, yeah, and one of our very early episodes was about this technology that was called Computers on the Mind all the, from all the way back in April of 2013. Pretty sure I titled that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's accurate. That is um, not one of the greatest of our punny titles. No, no, I'm, I'm, they're not all home runs. Anyway, you were saying, Lauren. <laughs> I wish that we had a cricket soundboard <laughs> in here so that anyway. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, as of 2013, when we recorded that first episode about it, there was some exploratory research into brain-computer interfaces that was really amazing. That There was this team uh, uh, out of out of mostly Brown University, also involving Stanford and a bunch of other researchers, uh, calling themselves BrainGate. BrainGate. Uh, that, that had created this inter- interface that allowed a woman with quadriplegia to feed herself using a robotic arm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they also created the first wireless implantable electrode that was being used at the time in, 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 in animal testing. But all of this was uh, fairly foundational work. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and we've also talked, of course, about brain-computer interfaces more recently during discussions into computer interfaces in general. Episodes like uh, Your Body as a Computer Interface from April of 2016 and Did Minority Report Shape User Interfaces, which was from September of The answer was yeah, sort of? Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah. Like kind of upsettingly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I'm, Minority Report is a fine film, um, but, but that precog thing, though, serious. No, I'm not going to get off on that. I, I, I'll, if I do that, the episode's over. I'll just be ranting and raving. Pray continue. Thank you, sir. Um, but yeah, so so all of those episodes focused more on on physical computer controls, you know, like like a keyboards or or mice or or even touch screens or some some voice and gesture controls, which are things that most of us use and are used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but wouldn't it be nice if if we could just think at our computers and have them execute our commands? It would be pretty sexy for everybody, really. Uh, but but really, especially useful for folks uh, like that woman with quadriplegia who, for whatever reason have trouble with fine motor controls uh, and or speech. So we thought that today we would look into this topic again and kind of see what what the state of the brain-computer interface union is. But first, let's let's talk let's talk about kind of like the basics. Like like let's get that ground level placed. Absolutely. As it is. Uh, how, how do you make connections between a brain and a computer anyway? It, it well, is not necessarily easy. 
But it's also not necessarily as hard as you might imagine because we already do share a semi-common language between brains and, and electronic machines, electrical machines, which is electricity. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. yeah uh, so uh, so the brain, uh, you would say, communicates between cells via a- electrochemical potential. Mm-hmm. And by using electrical charge, you can make the brain – do what it would normally be doing when uh, when part of it was activating. Yeah, that, that's very uh, imprecise language. Activating, but well, it's a pretty imprecise uh, uh, practice as well. I mean, I think I think we've gotten pretty good at making the brain like totally overwhelmed. It's it's harder. Oh, yeah, we're solid at that. Yeah, it's harder to get very specific outcomes, right? Like like to to cause someone to have a specific sensation mm-hmm. or uh, trigger a memory mm-hmm. or anything like that. I mean, it, overwhelming the brain, not a problem <laughs> if you want to just... Are you just talking about electroshock therapy? Essentially, uh, yeah. Uh, um, what, what's a little easier, though, is is training a computer, training software. What different brain signals in are, are, are meaning? In yeah. The, like like, like if, if a person's brain lights up in a certain way... Uh, what does that mean? Right, right. What so, are they thinking about? What are they trying to do? So there's a, a training process in any brain-computer interface that has two components. You're training the person to use the interface and you're training the computer on what the person's brain waves actually are are linked toward. So you have a long uh, uh, training process – I hate to keep using that phrase, but it's the most accurate. You have a very long training process to get to a point where you can actually do something useful. Right. So uh, a very, very simple example uh, would be – all right, let's let's talk about your, your basic brain-computer interface, which tends to involve invasive surgery. Oh, right. right. You, you have to – Because EEGs don't really cut it is the thing. Yeah, um, they're not precise External electrodes, um, your, your brain your, – your skull is not the very best Faraday cage, but it's pretty effective actually. Exactly, right. So you need to get access to those sweet, sweet uh, electrical uh, – Impulses. Impulses yeah. in, on the brain's surface. So typically it involves uh, – brain surgery. You're actually opening up the skull cap and you're putting uh, – overlaying maybe an array of, of uh, sensors, of electrodes on the surface of the brain. Typically, you don't go into the brain for this. It does tend to be along the surface of the brain. And then uh, you have usually some sort of transcranial connector. So it actually is going through the skull when you reattach the skull uh, to then wire typically – to a computer system. There are wireless ones as well, though those are earlier in development and they still require transcranial uh, ports. Oh, right, right. You're still you're still putting something in the brain and then like plugging a wireless device into the outside of your skull. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's not there's not a way right now where we have truly wireless where it's all within the skull itself and it's contained and therefore you don't have any sign of uh, a connector there, and because again, um, the the bone is really surprisingly effective uh, at, at keeping electrical signals inside and outside separate, based yeah. on where they are. Yeah, it turns out turns out that's a good thing for most of us most of the time. Yes. Yeah, uh, but it's it does make it very difficult to interface with a machine this way. Mm-hmm. So you then once you have the connection, the physical connection or the wireless connection from the person to the computer, you establish uh, some form of test 
that will start to train both the person with the interface and the machine itself on working together. And a typical one might be that uh, the person is looking at a, a, a picture of a ball and there's a second picture of a ball and their job is to imagine trying to force the uh, one ball so that it overlays on top of the other one. So let's say one's green and one's yellow. And so your, your job is to, to imagine moving the green ball over top the yellow ball. And you do this over and over and over again. And there's actually a scoring system, typically. And it's one to help motivate the person who's who's training. Mm-hmm. It's also meant to give feedback on, all right, well, because this was inconsistent between trials three and four, we have to keep working on this in order for the machine to understand what it is you are trying to do. Otherwise, it will misinterpret your thought and you could get an erroneous result. So if you're getting into something where you're trying to, say, type out a word and you're thinking, I want the cursor to move to the letter T, but the machine has misinterpreted that, you could end up with typos and mistakes. So you go through this laborious process where both the machine and the person learn, and then ultimately you reach a point where uh, the machine has a pretty good feel for what it means when you think – uh, in a certain way in order to manipulate stuff. And, and that's when you get the results you wanted. Uh, it is, I, I'm not going to say it's inelegant. I think it's an elegant solution, but it's an elegant solution that takes a good deal of work and effort and time. Well, I mean, one thing about that that occurs to me immediately is that it seems quite personalized to the individual user, not necessarily like if you uh, design a, say you're working on a, speech to text program mm-hmm. or something. Hopefully what you're doing is you're you're training it for universal speech to text. Right. You know, if you're speaking as long as you're speaking in a way that people would normally be able to understand the words you're saying without some kind of incredibly thick accent or something, it's going to be able to turn that into text. Would the same thing necessarily be true? Would you know, so you would hook up one person's brain and learn how to uh how to allow them to control a computer cursor without touching uh, the mouse or the keys, just their brain. Could you then come and bring somebody else in and hook their brain up and have them do the same thing? Certainly not yet. Yeah. Uh, it's, or, not or a... I mean, you'd have to retrain them, basically, yeah. right? Yeah, you'd have to retrain both, both the person the and the computer. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 not a one-size-fits-all kind of solution, uh, which is also why I get very skeptical whenever I see any of those distractions, the games that uh, have the little... EEG style headset and you're supposed to focus in order to make the game work. Uh, I get a little, I mean, if it's just trying to pick up an increase in brainwave activity and that's all it's doing, then it's kind of like just a dimmer switch, right? Like there's nothing super sophisticated about it. Right. But when it gets to like more, uh, complicated claims that, hey, if you, if you concentrate on the ball to go up, the ball goes up. And if you concentrate on the ball to go down, the ball goes down. And, it's a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. I, I often think that's more or less baloney. I mean, not that it doesn't work at all, but it doesn't. I doubt it works in the way they're t- saying it works. And, and it probably, I mean, if it does work even vaguely in the way that they say that it works, it probably doesn't work very well. Yeah. Because, yeah. again, uh, unfortunately right now, that surgery is an integral part of, of getting, getting to those juicy, juicy brainwaves. Yeah. Uh, so... It was just last year that we actually got to the point where 
uh, a wireless solution was even a thing. And in that case, it's not for humans. Oh, uh, well, yet. yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and the wireless solution is is so exciting because because uh, previously the, the, the thing that you plug into your skull to, to access those electrodes is a tether mm-hmm. that's that's. Meaning that you're that you're tied to a laboratory in which that that tether exists, or or I mean, even if even if it was available for like home use, you wouldn't be able to be mobile while you were using this kind of device. Mm-hmm. So so getting that that mobility and a little bit more comfort for subjects who are who are testing out this kind of stuff is is really critical in moving towards a place where where it could be actually useful for actual people in their actual lives. Right, and we've also seen progress. That's akin to Moore's law, the idea that over time you can increase the uh, abilities of, say, a microprocessor by reducing the size of the individual components. The same thing has been true for uh, the electrodes that w- have been used in this kind of thing. Uh, right, which is so cool because uh, – because any time that you put an implant in the brain, it's it's going to cause a little bit of scarring in the brain tissue, and and that scarring uh, get, gets larger over time. Mm-hmm. Um, the eventually the scar tissue begins to uh, to degrade the quality of the signal that the electrodes can send out because it's 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 a thicker it's a thicker material than mm-hmm. your normal brain stuff. It's almost like a callus. Exactly, exactly. So um. So, so smaller implants equal less scarring, equal better technology over time, equal yay. Yeah, and obviously if you were to undergo a procedure where you were going to have some sort of uh, electrode array uh, implanted in your brain, you want it to last for as long as it possibly can so that you don't have to undergo a future procedure in order to correct any issues from scarring. Exactly. So this is a this is a huge advance, even though it's very tiny. Huh. Yeah, and, and hope, hopefully, uh, like Jonathan said, it's currently uh, the, the wireless stuff is only available for animal testing. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, a wireless device will be cleared for human testing soon. Uh, the, the last I heard about it in, I believe, December of 2015, there was one company that was uh, that was working with the BrainGate project that was uh, w- was submitting a proposal to the FDA. So, no word on that as of Google today. Right. But but you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. And so let's kind of segue into some of the work that's been done recently to help improve the approach of of brain computer interfaces we we have to say right off the bat there's nothing that's like the the uh holy grail of brain computer interfaces that magically makes them work perfectly but we've seen some pretty cool advances yeah there, there was one story in particular that kind of spurred this this episode to into creation that uh involves monkeys and hamlet yeah yeah and i I, I really I campaigned hard to cover this for a show that we do called How Stuff Works Now uh, because I'm a technology freak and a Shakespeare freak. So the the dual punch hit me right in the sternum. Uh, so we're talking about a project that came out of Stanford BioX. There was a group of scientists at Stanford who were looking specifically at ways to improve brain-computer interfaces for people who have mobility issues. Uh, they said that one of the biggest challenges they were facing was that the interfaces that existed up to that point were relatively slow and frequently people were finding uh, it difficult to use. That they were, they were, It was inserting errors. They were getting misspellings or typos or whatever. And it, that causes frustration 
obviously. And I don't, I, I know you guys, like, if you've ever been working on a task that's particularly hard and then you get frustrated, it suddenly seems like the difficulty of that task has skyrocketed. It's like if you're already trying to do something difficult on your computer and then your computer starts getting slow. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that the best feeling? It's so frustrating. Oh. And or, or have you ever been playing a video game where there was a glitch in it and, and you were like like the controls maybe like especially in older games where like the controls were already a little bit like like rough, like tank like. And right. then all of a sudden you just get to a glitch where you're like, well, it's it's physically impossible for me to beat this. Boss. Yeah, there, there, that's great. There are times where you just, you know, you feel that level of frustration and it. It, it makes something that is already challenging even more difficult, right? Like even if that barrier were not there anymore, because of your frustration, your ability to focus has has decreased. And so there was a real need to try and improve this tech. Uh, and in fact, there's a quote specifically from a piece in Stanford News that said earlier versions of this technology have already been tested successfully in people with paralysis, but the typing was slow and imprecise. This latest work tests improvements to the speed and accuracy of the technology that interprets brain signals and drives the cursor. So in this case, they're talking about an interface where you have like a screen with a bunch of letters on it and there's a cursor as well and you can concentrate and move the cursor to the appropriate letter and then concentrate again as if you were clicking on that letter and it selects it. It, it acts as a, you know, as like a typewriter, but mm -hmm. you're doing it very much a, a point, like a, a, a search and peck kind of approach where instead of a finger, you're using your brain. Now, the way they tested the improvements to this technology was a bit unusual. They, they used monkeys as test subjects, not unusual, Right. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Not unusual for this. But they trained them to concentrate on symbols and then they had them transcribe uh, passages from a couple of different sources. Uh, the New York Times, some articles from the New York Times, they used that uh, as a test um, text to transcribe. And in one case, Hamlet. So that, of course, prompted people to make reference to that old idea that if you stuck an infinite number of monkeys in a room with an infinite number of typewriters, sooner or later, one of them would produce the complete works of Shakespeare just by chance because the definition of infinite. Is it an infinite number of monkeys? I always thought it was a finite number of monkeys given infinite time. Either way, it's same thing. Yeah. Right. I, I I feel like the Douglas Adams version was infinite monkeys, infinite typewriters, and yeah. infinite. If it were infinite monkeys and just I've... one typewriter, boy. Ooh. I'd imagine, but the infinite monkeys get the Shakespeare done a lot faster than finite monkeys. You would imagine, yeah. Infinite monkey. <laughs> I don't know. Do they? I, I mean, at a certain point, does adding more monkeys help or hurt the situation? It always helps. <laughs> okay. Adding more monkeys always helps. And this if, is why you're the optimist of the three of us. If you Joe. take nothing else from this show, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, take the words of wisdom from Joe. Adding monkeys always helps. Um, so in this case, obviously, the monkeys weren't typing up Hamlet purely by chance. They were transcribing it. Uh, and right. in fact, only one was doing it. But uh, Yeah. And so so what, what the researchers did here is they, they implanted electrodes into the monkeys' motor cortexes. And, and the monkeys were trained – uh, to move cursors around the screen, uh, first with actual gestures. And the camera watched their movements while the software was watching their brain waves. Thus, the computer learned what the monkey's intent to move looked like. Right. And keep in mind, they had no comprehension of the text, as far as we are aware. <laughs> yeah. they, they weren't suddenly all – they didn't all become subscribers to the New York Times uh, or 
aficionados of the Bard, as far, n- as, far as we know. Yeah, n- none of them, as far as I'm aware, contacted Kenneth Branagh. But no. several of them did become Oxfordians. <laughs> yes. There were a couple of bacon vans in the group, I'm not going to lie. Uh, they were literally just Monkeys, just replicating right? those words by doing that that kind of cursor click approach we were talking about by concentrating. Uh, but despite those limitations, despite those qualifiers, they were able to reach a speed of around 12 words per minute, which was pretty impressive for a monkey. Really pretty impressive considering the technology at all. Absolutely. So for fun, because I was curious, I thought it might be interesting to see how long it would take a monkey to type out Hamlet in this way. Keeping in mind, the monkey is, again, transcribing Hamlet, not actually just spontaneously typing up the play. Right, sure. But I, I guess this means you have to pick a certain version of Hamlet, right? That's true. I, I, I picked, I picked a, a, a pretty standard version. Uh, and I was, I actually did go to a site that gave like uh, a number of words oh, per, okay. for every work. Uh-huh. Hamlet, by the way, in case you're curious, is the longest of Shakespeare's plays uh, by number of words and by running time, if they're doing the whole darn thing. It has 30,557 words. Uh, so at 12 words per minute, it would take a monkey about 42.4 hours to type out the whole thing. But to replicate all of Shakespeare's plays, and not his sonnets, I didn't include the sonnets, but if you were to replicate all of Shakespeare's plays, it would take about 48 days of typing at 12 words per minute. Uh, so... Now we know, right? Um, <laughs> if you remove the chance part, I mean, right. if you got chance in there, we still—that's yeah, still a mystery. But it's it's still it's still like like certainly not an infinite amount of time. No, that's no, a, that's a pretty. I mean, yeah, it's we, like a month and a half right now. We do still need to add more monkeys to Joe's point in order to answer the other question. Absolutely. Uh, now they also pointed out that they were not using any completion algorithms—the kind of stuff that you might find in smartphones. Uh, or some computer programs where you start typing a word and it tries to guess what word you intend based upon context and your frequency of using certain words. And it's always wrong. It's frequently wrong. Uh, not necessarily. I actually had autocomplete back before I started using swipe text, which is just a- another exercise in futility that I apparently am determined to continue to pursue. Um, when I was typing in letter by letter – uh, I noticed that autocomplete was more right than wrong, but when it was wrong, it was hilariously wrong. Yeah, and often in a way that makes you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> or or it makes you feel weird about whoever programmed that algorithm because you're like, why would they ever think I would use that word? Um, oh, I assume it's being like tailored to you, right? It's paying attention to your typing patterns? Well, is, and, and is it not? It depends, right? Sometimes it's simply an algorithm that just looks at the letters that you have typed in so far, looks for words that have that sequence of letters, and sometimes even can uh, like context within the sentence. Right. So if if the the letter the words leading up to the word you are typing, uh, if it would make sense for you to say like, uh, did I? Uh, what's a good one? Um, did I leave the refrigerator door open? And you're like R E uh, F. It might say, well, it's probably refrigerator. Did I leave the? Uh, it's either refrigerator or it's referee. They've either left something in the fridge or they've left a baseball game. I'm gonna take a guess. That this guy who has never cared about sports ball <laughs> is talking about a fridge. Um, so it depends. So there's you, some. You there's start some typing in. Uh, I don't know what uh, Oxfordian, and it <laughs> says, "Did you mean Tim Tebow?" <laughs> yeah. It mine does that to me. Okay, well, 
that, not that specific example. But. I was about to say that's a very specific example and very odd. But at any rate, they they did not use any completion algorithms in this. However, they said that that could potentially be something that to be included in future uh, implementations at, that could help speed up communication. Uh, as long as it could be implemented in a way that, again, did not increase frustration. If it's one of those things where, you know, you you start searching the Internet for all the the unintentionally hilarious uh, autocomplete or autocorrect mistakes. Like, yeah, it's funny in a meme. But if you're if you're someone for whom this is the only way you can really communicate with others, it would be uh, incredibly awful. It would oh, just yeah. be so frustrating. So, um it's it's something that may in, be incorporated into future implementations, uh, but at, at the, as of right now, it is not part of their their approach. Um, now, a lot of different uh, uh, research facilities have been looking into this, not just Stanford, right? Uh, I mean, there's there have been several uh, research facilities around the world, and there's some uh, pretty. Um, Hmm, what's a good word to put it? Uh, enthusiastic but shadowy organizations that have interests in this. So, okay. Here's the part where we tar- talk about a creepy thing that DARPA's been doing. Yeah. Um, so so another, another barrier to this technology going mainstream is, is the inherent danger in drilling a hole in someone's skull. Right. And, and implanting stuff in your brain. That's, that's not a good Tuesday for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... So, so DARPA has been funding the development of, of a new medical technology that they're calling a uh, stentrode. Stentrode. Okay. Yes. Stentrode. Oh, um, so like a, a stent and electrode. Got yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and with this, no skull holes are required, or no new ones anyway. You get to keep <laughs> the ones that you already have. Excellent. Um, but but the, the, the electrode, you, you, you take a stent and you, and you go in through a blood vessel in mm. the neck. Ugh. Thread the electrode up into the brain, and then you can monitor electrical signals happening in neurons nearby. And I had the exact same reaction that Joe just had when I was reading about this. That's creepy. It's, There's someone else who has a very similar idea that we'll talk about in just a minute. But I, I think it's probably the same general technological approach that you're talking about. Yeah. It's just that's not the way I read it when I was looking into it. But it makes way more sense the way you're describing <laughs> it. I, I mean, one thing we should emphasize again is that there are also people talking about non-invasive methods and, and using non-invasive methods of reading the brain. They just lack precision and, and, and power. Or in some cases, they're they're plenty precise and they're plenty powerful, but they require you to be inside an MRI machine. Oh, right. right. Yeah, yeah. We haven't mentioned that part yet. Uh, yeah, so some of you might have been thinking earlier in this episode when we were talking about how surgery is necessary because of the Im- impreciseness, impreciseity of, um, of, of other methods of, of reading brain signals. You're thinking, oh, MRI. MRIs are really great at reading brain signals, but they also require you to lay perfectly still in a very giant, very expensive, very noisy machine. Um, yeah. For the entirety of the time that you were using them, therefore, if you're trying to do it to like talk to somebody or uh, you know eat food, that's not as practical. That's a pretty good premise for a future sci-fi scenario where people are walking around with MRI hats, like they've got a <laughs> they've got a giant machine propped on their shoulders. Yeah. They've got really powerful bodies from walking around with these things. I guess the supervillain in this in this world would be Ferromagnetic Man. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. Like, because you don't want to have any of that near you. Um, so, so, 
<laughs> so other other than ferromagnetic man and uh, and this lovely MRI future, what what else could the future possibly hold for uh, brain computer interface type devices, y'all? So obviously, just getting a deeper understanding of the brain in general is going to be a huge help for multiple uh, disciplines, not just creating better brain computer interfaces, but all sorts of things. Uh, and we have ex- have stressed on this show multiple times how. We are at just the very dawn of our understanding of the human brain. It is a, a, an incredibly complex organ, and we only have an inkling of what is going on up there. Uh, we've got a pretty good grasp of some basics, but when it gets down to the particulars, it gets really complicated. Uh, we're, we're also going to see improvements in the machine learning side as computers get better and better at interpreting what our signals mean, mm-hmm. uh, similar to what we saw with the Stanford experiment. I would imagine that we would see that words per minute start to climb a little more each time we get a little bit better at this. Uh, the surgical procedure thing, that's obviously a huge barrier, obviously. I mean, people who are undergoing this uh, they often are are people who feel like they have really no other alternative mm-hmm. and that it is something that they want uh, for themselves. And uh, yeah, like like ha- having a hole drilled in your skull will lead to a better quality of life right. kind of situations, which, yeah. which, which, of course, yeah, I'm not making light of it. Like like that's that's a very real reality for oh, for for a good number of people. And, and this kind of um, this kind of volunteer research has has been tremendous. Yes. Yes. There's some really inspiring videos about people who have undergone procedures like this. Yeah. And when you see the the change in their behaviors after the procedure is done. I mean, if you're any sort of empathetic person like me, uh, you will find yourself holding back tears at your yeah, desk. Yeah, there, there's a video, I think, from 2013 of, of, a, of a woman uh, using the BrainGate uh, robotic arm technology to to serve herself coffee for mm-hmm. the first time uh, in years. And, it, and it's, oh, ugh, and I'm, cho- yeah, I'm choking up just thinking about it. It sounds like very simple things. Like the one I saw, oh, I'm going to get all... All teary too. Joe's like, good grief, guys. Come on. I want to get out of here. Uh, the one I saw was a guy who um, uh, had suffered an accident, was paralyzed from the neck down. And under he, he underwent a, a surgical procedure. And in that case, it was also to control a robotic arm. He did the whole training procedure I talked about. In fact, the video showed the the example I gave about moving a ball over another ball with you mm-hmm. know doing that over and over again and that was just to train the brain so that when the the they hooked him up to the robotic arm which was you know just completely separate from him that um that it would the robotic arm would would follow general instructions based upon that training sequence he uh then the first time they hooked him up was able to uh reach out and take his girlfriend's hand and that killed me. <laughs> He's like, I was able to hold my girlfriend's oh. hand for the first time in years uh. because of this. And I was like, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I need a quiet room. Going to go book the quiet room. <laughs> like Aww. when you hear the muffled snuffling, that's me. Yeah. So, but this, this is, this is obviously a very dramatic procedure, something that people cannot take lightly. Uh, the, the, there are so many possible complications including the complication of infection. Anytime you have any sort of transcranial implant, you know, in general, 
having anything that protrudes from the body outward, you know, that 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 breaks that skin barrier permanently. That yeah. is that is obviously a huge risk factor. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be super super careful. Um, non-invasive approaches are problematic, like we said, but perhaps we will see advances in that technology to make them more accurate, more precise, so that fewer uh, invasive surgeries have to be performed. But that's a tall order. I mean, how do you do that? Uh, we don't have the answer to that question yet. It doesn't mean that it, we won't in the future, but right now, it's just not a practical approach. Um there's the possibility of using this technology. We could do things beyond just controlling robotic arms and cursors. And I don't mean to, to diminish those accomplishments either. They are amazing. But we might see an approach where exoskeleton suits could be uh, come into the pictures, where, where people are actually able to use their brains to control things like robotic legs and regain movement, you know, actual mobility uh, uh, beyond – you know, laying in a bed and controlling something, they might actually be able to move around with the assistance of technology, which is, again, phenomenal. This is giving independence to people who previously you would have said they're going to be dependent upon caregivers for as long as they are alive. Um, I, and it's, again, a phenomenal kind of thing to think about. It's further off in the future. We're not anywhere close to where someone could actually um, – have control of an exoskeleton suit in that manner, but mm-hmm. it's a goal to reach for. Yeah, and then there's uh, Elon Musk's idea, which this is the one I was saying probably similar to what you were talking about with the stint uh, uh, electrode, the stint trode. Um, he also uh, I, I wrote it's Elon Musk and the neural lace, which sounds a lot like a J.K. Rowling novel. It does. Hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Elon Musk and the neural lace. Um, so Musk is, of course, famous for being a co-founder for Tesla and for SpaceX. Um, and he proposed an implantable computer technology that would enhance human intelligence. So this is more about what we were talking about at the top of the show. The idea of instead of using your brain necessarily to control some other outward computer, this would be like a two-way communication device uh, where you're not just sending signals out. You're, re- you're accepting signals as they come in. And – uh, the term neural lace comes from a novelist named Ian M. Banks. Oh, yeah. He's and, one of uh, Robert's favorites on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Oh, yeah? Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I have not read any of Banks's work, so mm-hmm. I am unf- I was unfamiliar with his work until I read this uh, bit. And in- he, he writes a lot of science fiction that's uh, full of ideas that are worth talking about. Interesting. I'll have to – I'll definitely have to look into it then. Um, so th- this would come in the form – these these uh, electrodes would come in the form of flexible circuits that would be injected into the bloodstream, very similar to what Lauren was talking about, through the neck and make their way up to the brain. And then you bypass the need for invasive surgery, um, assuming that you would be able to send a signal out from the brain through the skull that could be – you know, interact with whatever infrastructure you have around you. Right. It's not like you could just magically control things with your brain. You still have to have that infrastructure that's designed to work with that interface. Yeah. Uh, but his thought is this is a way for human beings to get ahead of that problem. Of, ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, head and shoulders. Sorry. Above the problem of super intelligent artificial intelligence. Like his his fear and Banks's I, I, or Musk's? Musk's. I hope I'm not projecting too much based upon my interpretation, but. To me, it seems that Musk's fear is that if we continue down the road of developing artificial intelligence, sooner or later we will receive – we get to a point where we have superhuman 
uh, artificial intelligence. And then we will become nothing more than pets to the AI. And that if we were instead to incorporate technology so that AI becomes an inherent component of humanity, that oh. our intelligence is boosted by artificial intelligence that's incorporated directly onto our brains. Yes. Everything's fine. We can fine. also do super math. Yes. We will and be, we have flesh limbs. The super intelligent, to us. the super intelligent AI will be us. Although, yeah. I mean, I would, I would argue, well, what stops the super intelligent AI from tweaking the technology so that we all just become its meat puppets. But who's to, who, who am I to, to ask these questions? Yeah, I, that's interesting, but also I'm thinking, okay, so it's better to first achieve super intelligence in, uh, in, uh, on a substrate that is full of greed and lust and revenge. Yeah. I also, I also started thinking, <laughs> I also started thinking like, wouldn't computers maybe be a better place to try it? I, I also think, <laughs> I also started thinking about how the implications of this and immediately started to feel kind of sick to my stomach because he's talking about an interface where you would be able to do things like access Google without needing to touch a computer, right? Mm -hmm. That you just think it and you can access it and you can get the information and you've got it. It does not take a great leap from that idea to go to the idea of essentially the idea of uh, uh, telepathic communication, what what amounts to uh, – technological telepathy where projecting I could, ads into your brain no 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 i'm not thinking about ads i'm thinking youtube comments <laughs> i'm thinking harassment like uh -huh. not being able to turn that off right just yeah. imagine or so let's say guys i know that you're familiar the people in this room are familiar with the idea of how sometimes certain sections of the internet can get upset about something and their response is to attack whatever the target is relentlessly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Imagine that's happening but with essentially the technological equivalent to telepathy, that a person has uh, appeared to have done a wrong in some form. Whether they have or not is immaterial because that's not how the internet works. The internet doesn't really care if the person is truly guilty. You were in a movie <laughs> I didn't like. So yeah, I'm going exactly. To literally drive you crazy. Yeah, that and I'm I know that I'm going like super Twilight Zone with this sure. idea, but but I mean I see some potential drawbacks to Musk's I, solution is I, all I'm I, saying. I would want these things to have, yes, like off switches. Like a mute switch, yeah. yeah. Like where you're like, you're blocked, you're blocked, you're blocked, you're blocked. Everyone is blocked. I'm just alone with my thoughts. I'm going to get some pancakes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, except you can't order because you've turned off the yeah. the signal and they're like, I don't know what you want. I'm like, I am I am pointing to the picture. I am saying the word pancakes. Yes, yeah, but our, if you want to order, you got to think pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's just the way. I'm sorry. It's chip and pen and telepathy. Those are the way, technologies that we depend on. I don't know. I mean, I think as long as restaurants accept cash, they'll accept words. Yeah, cash is meaningless in the in the the te technological tele telepathic future. It's just not going to happen. I was assuming that if you're that done with humanity, you're making your own pancakes. You're, you're, <laughs> you've, you've not left your home. You're in your pajamas. Your yeah. cat is judging you, and you're making your own pancakes. That's that's pretty much now. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a cat, but if I did have a cat, I know it would be judging me. Yes, the incredible future. <laughs> kind of like now. Yeah. So uh, interesting ideas. I don't – I mean, obviously, these are all things that would be pretty far away. Even developing the technology where you would be able to physically overlay those stent trodes yeah. uh, without invasive surgery, you still have enormous barriers. Like – 
it's one thing to put the to physically put the electrodes on the surface of the brain. It's a totally different thing to allow the brain to actually access and receive information from an outside source wirelessly just oh, yeah. beamed in. It's not oh, yeah. like we have a way of doing that. Right, sure. And, and I and I should also put in if I if I didn't mention explicitly that that, that DARPA uh, research project was was being done in sheep. We're we're not quite human level at that one yet. Yeah, telepathic sheep. That's actually scarier. So many different science fiction novels are just coming to my mind as we go through this. But uh, that kind of wraps up where we are today, the the update we wanted to give specifically. Uh, I I am very eager to see how this technology progresses because yeah. its capacity to help people who are otherwise in in very uh, difficult situations, I think, is phenomenal. Yeah, even in the three years since we did that first uh, uh, podcast episode about these types of projects, it, it's it, technology has advanced so much. It's yeah. really amazing. It's it's pretty. It's pretty inspiring, honestly, when you when you start looking into these stories. Uh, and guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or you've got any questions, please send them our way. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. If you go to Facebook and search FW Thinking, our profile will pop up. You can leave us a message. We are FW Thinking on Twitter, so you can always tweet at us. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. 
Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.